I remember watching, you know, the, at the time it was a laser disc, uh, live at Carnegie Hall. And uh, I remember watching it years later and going, man, we were young! <laughs> but we were young in a good way. We were, we were slamming stuff out and staying right in the pocket. I think we gave people a little bit show. Hello and welcome to NewellMediaGroup.com. I'm Jody Newell. Today we conclude our series of interviews with NAC guitarist Bert Navier. On today's segment, we'll discuss the effect of the internet on the music industry, as well as Burton's foray into the world of musicals. Burton, just very quickly, the internet. Now, because I just touched on it, I mean, the internet has spawned, um, you've got NAC websites, and I know Brian Broad has done a, a website on you. The internet has facilitated things like looking back on the past, looking back on bands like the NAC. You know, you can look at YouTube and see videos of, you know, a 1980 yeah. performance, or you can see quotes of you guys, you know, mentioned years ago and stuff like that. It, it really adds to the experience of of the rock of rock rock and roll music. I think it's great. I, I just, I really, I, I can relate to it from what a service it is for me and my musical taste. It it does my heart good to think. I mean, I really haven't thought much about it, but now that you bring it up, if somebody, you know, checked us out and could see us getting up on stage and doing one of our songs like Little Cal. I'd go, well, okay, you know, I feel real good about that because I think they're going to like what they see and uh, that's good enough. I do know personally, and this this will kind of give you an idea where my head's at, that YouTube is an incredible resource for me. And what I do is I go back and, and watch old Peter, Paul, and Mary performances. <laughs> Literally, Peter, Paul, and Mary, the folk, the folk group, of course, was really one of the great performing groups of my lifetime. And they were indescribably wonderful and professional and brilliant and there are there's a, a series and you can tell the really good vintage ones because they're all in black and white and there was they must have done a bbc tv special and i think every song they did on that special is on youtube and i'm just watching i'm going oh man this is heaven it's like somebody transformed me back and i got to see them and they're in their glory and Mary and her beauty and they're not missing a note and they got all the passion and joy and all the stuff that people don't have anymore, frankly. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. My my mother used to have the double album, or the, I think it was triple album actually, the Warner Brothers release of um, Peter, Paul and Mary Live. It was a huge seller in Australia. Yeah, it was a double album. Yeah, it yeah. was a double album yeah. and that, that was a great one. Their their version on that of uh, If I Had My Way is just that the, the hair stands up on the back of your neck. It's just, yeah. Yeah, and even the... Pretty, pretty yeah, even the photos on the album cover, like, you know, they just, it, they were quite outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were they were from an era where people would commit to being excellent and it was right before... Beatles era, and then that was right before the hippie era. You know, the the idea of rehearsing and rehearsing and working and working and rehearsing so that when you got up there, everything was note perfect, so that you could deliver it with the passion of an actor who really knows his lines. That ethic was lost, <laughs> you know, and a lot of good stuff replaced it. The the spontaneity and and the you know the the kind of be here now aspect of being unbelievably high and listening to a great band. But I mourn the passing of the commitment to excellence. I really do. And maybe, you know, I, I will say one thing. If somebody asked me to break the neck, say we were very, very well rehearsed. We, 
we got up on stage knowing what we had to do, and we went out and did it. Absolutely. Uh, the life, I've got uh, a couple of um, recordings of you guys playing live at the old Wardorf in San Francisco and, and the, the, the Long Island gig. Oh, my and, God. And, yeah, and both those gigs are just, you, you do nail them both times, too. Yeah, and uh, I remember watching, you know, the, at the time it was a laser disc. Uh, live at Carnegie Hall, and uh, I remember watching it years later and going, "Man, we were young, <laughs> but we were young in a good way. We were we were slamming stuff out and staying right in the pocket. I think we gave people a real good show. I Ab- really do. Absolutely, Burton. And most and most and most of that is because of Doug. Doug was a leader. He was like the director, you know, and he kept us on point. He kept us focused straight ahead. That was one of his many, many contributions to the band. That was, you know, invaluable. If you get the chance, Burton, um, do type in Mr. Handelman on YouTube and check it out because the performance—it's <laughs> it's brilliant. If you can't remember it, it's just—it's fan. You, you, you sort of because Doug goes, "This is one of our favors" or something, and you go, "Oh, that's really funny, Doug," or something like that. It's just a really cool clip. You got to check it out. I will. I will. God damn it! I haven't heard that song for a long time. <laughs> And you're playing the piano. That's why I mentioned because I've I've done my research yeah. and and um, had a look at it. And yeah, it's a great little clip. So yeah, check it out. I will. Okay. Um, I promise. Thanks. Just very quickly, um, what are you doing these days? I mean, you're you're getting into writing and musicals and stuff. What what are you doing right at this? The well, past? yeah, yeah. That that's basically what I'm doing. There's a gig I do every once in a while. There's a friend of mine, a singer songwriter named Jack Kempshin, and they're a bunch of friends in the band. And so I do these gigs. They're almost kind of like casuals and it's a lot of fun, but it's very easy. Uh, easy as in there's no traveling involved, you know, play the gig and go home, sleep in my own bed, which is basically a requirement these days. One of the band members in that, coincidentally, segueing me into the other stuff, is my writing partner, Rob Muir, who is the lyricist, and I'm the composer, and we write musicals together, musical comedy. And we've been working on that for many years. We met in a, uh, a songwriter's workshop, a musical theater writer's workshop, and learn the discipline that gives us that that gives us a kind of a uh, a holy campaign because musical theater it, most people hate it. <laughs> I mean, most people just they can't stand musicals. They just think it's really fakey when the guy stops talking dialogue and starts singing, and they can't get past that. I think that's kind of silly because these are the same people who have no problem with a talking frog in a movie. But you know, that's not for me to argue with them. But one of the other reasons why people don't really respond to musicals is the musicals of the past era have been pretty miserable. If you listen to a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical or God knows Leonard Bernstein West Side Story score, it's it's masterwork. It's just it's genius work. And that's what people used to be able to do in musical theater. And if you try very, very hard to do that kind of work, you could come up with something that is entertaining and moving and fun and sexy and real, you know, uh, truth revealing, all that good stuff and all in one package and you do it live and, you know, uh, it's very hard to get it across. It's hard to get real productions going. But we have things, you know, we have our irons in the fire and we have the things we're working on and we hope one day to make a success out of it. In the meantime, it's a lot of hard work that pays off. Do you enjoy what you're doing? Like you enjoy, it's a, it's a good, it's a oh, good God, fit? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a very, very good fit. In many ways, it's, this is going to sound strange. It's a better fit for me than rock and roll was because I have, I can express myself. I, I am constantly being called upon to do my best work in completely different directions 
you know, I mean, I, I guarantee you some of the stuff that we've written, it, it would just not jibe with anybody's imagination of what the guitarist from the Knack would be writing. It, it just, it's, it's like legit stage music, and it's maybe, uh, oh, I don't know, like a pastiche of a French composer like Ravel or something like that. That's that's pretty far afield, but that's what I'm trying to say. It's, it really stretches me to do my best work because you have two writing partners who are demanding it of you. There is an ethic in writing musical theater, if you're doing it right, that you don't get in rock music, which is every syllable could be done better. Every note could be done better. You never stop writing the song. If it could be made better, you do it. And my experience in rock music is people have a tendency to slam out their song, and they go, there it is. There it is. That's it. And uh, I've discovered the, uh, the real magic, as any writer like you probably know, is in the rewriting. That's where the good stuff comes. Absolutely. When you've got to edit it and rewrite it and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, that's, and so it is a very good fit for me personally, and it gives me a lot to work on. Uh, well, the stuff we're doing now, for instance, I have a Pro Tools studio in my house. When you do musicals, you write a piano vocal score, so I've had to learn to score for, for singers, for instruments, even maybe arrangements for strings, if that's what it calls for. Then I record the stuff in my Pro Tools studio. So as a result, it gives me assignments. Every song, every new song for a show we're working for is another assignment. And the three of us get together, uh, me and the lyricist and the book writer, and we kind of storyboard the song. And every facet of it, every, every imagined what style is it in, how long should it be, what, what we want to get over from the character, what plot-wise happens during the song, how much, you know, how many choruses go through before that part happens. Everything is discussed, and then I go and execute it. And that's such a far cry from what you do in rock and roll. And it really, it makes you work harder, quite simply. It sounds like you're in a good place, uh, Burton, musically and, and just career-wise. It sounds like you're, you're, you're quite happy there. Yeah, well, I'm blessed. I have this annuity called My Sharona. <laughs> so I am, I am that lucky, among that lucky few who doesn't have to wake up every morning and say, how am I going to start a career as in make a new living. As a result, my time is my own. And because musical theater, it's a very tough road to hoe. I mean, if you get any kind of a production, you're lucky. Get To imagine a show getting, you know, successful enough to where people actually know it, say, nationally, is just, it's almost unimaginable. There's so much that has to go right before that eventually happens that you really... It kind of forces you to stay in doing it for the right reasons, which is just to make the show as good and as fun as you possibly can, and then hope the breaks fall where they may. Has um, being associated with the neck has it been a hindrance or it's been a positive in terms of like trying to get you know contacts in the industry? It, and, yeah. it actually it's funny. I I was very shy about that because the first two or three shows that my partner and I, he's also from rock and roll, he was Christopher Cross's writing partner. The first two or three shows we wrote, we bent over backwards for them not to be rock scores because there's, I, I won't get into, I won't bore you with specifics, but there's aspects of rock and roll that doesn't, don't really serve musical theater well. We would not write that, and I felt very self-conscious because, again, if somebody said, this is a new musical, you know, the composer is the guy in the knack, 
well, it would kind of set up uh, some expectations that would be confounded when they heard the first music, and I didn't want to lose them in their confusion. But I found since that every time we work on a show, and it just happened last week when we were in New York doing this reading for a show we're attached to, that when the director or the producer or whoever introduces me as the guy sitting at the piano, the composer, he'll say, this is Bert Nevere. He was the lead guitarist, and he co-wrote my Sharona. So, I mean, it's my calling card whether I want it to be or not. And I can only assume that it is a good thing because they wouldn't be saying it otherwise. Sure. You know, it, and, and people go, oh, you know, it's like it, it's no matter what walk of life you're in, people like the known entity and they're impressed with success. So I, I would say in answer to your question that it is it is very much in, in my favor that I have something like that to point to. So it's not like, you know, even in musical theater. <laughs> so it's not like, don't mention the war, don't mention my Sharona. <laughs> it's yeah, OK. Exactly. Cool. Don't mention the war. <laughs> Faulty Towers, right? Don't yes. mention the wall. <laughs> Don't mention my Sharona. <laughs> yes. No, I thought, actually, it's funny. Uh, it got to the point where uh, Daniel, the director this time, he said, do you mind if I say that? I said, no, for a while I was considering it having it tattooed on my forehead, but I realized <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> oh, dear. That's, that, that's a bit like Inglorious Bastards or something like that, hey? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, but, but I'll tell you, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. We were... My girlfriend and I, not, oh God, probably three weeks ago, were literally in the rainforest in Peru, the, the Amazonian rainforest, and we are two of five guests at this hotel, and the three people with us, uh, this uh, French guy and his wife, who happened to be Japanese, although she sounded British, and um, uh, a Kiwi girl from uh, New Zealand, of course, and one of them said, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a musician, and well, would we know anything you did? And I take my deep breath. I say, well, you probably know one of our songs. I say, my shrine. Oh, my God, I love that song. And, and so there we are in the rainforest, <laughs> and it's the calling card. Once again, the song is the calling card. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty impressive calling card, but yeah, it's, it's done me proud. Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt. Bert Nevere from the Neck. That concludes our series of interviews. We'd like to thank Brian Broad, who helped organise this interview, as well as Burton himself. He was really cool. If you'd like to leave feedback, you can email us at info at newellmediagroup.com. Or if you'd like to catch up with the rest of the series, you can visit our website at newellmediagroup.com. From the studios of Newell Media Group in Vaucluse, Sydney, Australia, thanks for listening, and I'm Jody Newell. Catch you later.